Welcome to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. It is the topic that is filling up my Facebook feed and text messages these days. And of course it is, what on earth are we going to do for school this year? I know a lot of you are in this boat. A lot of you feel stuck or maybe a little bit paralyzed trying to figure out what you're going to do with the kids. Maybe your district is not offering solutions that you love. Maybe you're not sure what they're doing yet. Maybe you're concerned about what could change later on in this fall and winter. And you're just trying to make some tough decisions. So in today's episode, I wanted to go over some of the questions and discussions I've had with some friends lately, friends who have called me up and said, Jill, I'm thinking of homeschooling for the first time. Here are my concerns. How can you help me out? And so since I didn't record those conversations, I did jot down the questions that kept coming up. And I wanted to go through those in this episode because I have a hunch that if you're in this boat, you have these exact same questions. So here we go. I'm your host, Jill Winger, and this is the podcast for the Trailblazers, the Mavericks, the Makers, the Homesteaders, the Modern Pioneers, and the Backyard Farmers. If you're ready to boost your food security and live a more homegrown lifestyle, well, this is the podcast for you. This episode is brought to you by Union Wireless, who I am very proud to have as a sponsor this month. Union is a small town company that began over a century ago when one man recognized the need for Wyoming folks to have dependable communication and decided to do something about it. Sounds like my type of person. Ever since, Union has been providing both rural and city folks alike with landline, cell phone, and internet options. I adore salt of the earth companies like this. And while I know that not all of you listening live out west, if you are in Wyoming, Northwest Colorado, Utah, or Montana, I highly recommend checking out their website at unionwireless.com to see if they are available in your area. So as many of you know, we have homeschooled for the last five years, I guess, pretty much since my firstborn was in kindergarten. And I myself was homeschooled K through 12. So we were into the homeschool world way before COVID, way before it became such a topic. Um, so we're not COVID schoolers per se, although I have thought many, many times over the last few months how grateful I am that we already had made this choice for our family because I think it just simplified a lot for us. And I'm very, very happy to be a resource for others. And I've had a lot of questions lately. And like I said in the intro, um, I had a really great conversation with a friend yesterday who is in this position of trying to figure out what to do. And I want to just go through some of the questions she asked me because these are the same questions I'm seeing pop up online. And hopefully this will help you if you are in this position of trying to figure out what to do with your kids this year. And most of all, I just want to offer you encouragement because the thing I'm seeing really pop up right now with a lot of parents is a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty. And I just want to go like give all of these moms a hug and go, trust me, this is not as hard as you think. This is not as scary as you think. And you have what it takes to do this if you decide to go the homeschool route. Now, I'm not saying the homeschool route is the right route for all of you. You guys get to make that decision. But for those of you who are seriously considering the homeschool journey because of COVID, um, 
you can do this, friends. So let's dive in. So the first question, <laughs> this one's actually driving me crazy ever so slightly, just a teeny bit, because um, I'm getting folks, you know, online or whatever, and they'll message me and go, I think we're going to homeschool. What curriculum do you use? Tell me everything you know about homeschool curriculum. And I'm just like, <gasps> deep breath, because <sighs> there's so much. Like, I don't even know where to start with that question, because homeschool curriculum is overwhelming. If you just go on the internet and decide you're going to go buy some math books, like you could spend your whole lifetime trying to figure out which math books are best, which ones will fit your child, which ones you need, which ones this person likes, which ones this blogger recommends. So homeschool curriculum is big business and there are many, many choices. So when someone rolls up and says, you know, tell me what curriculum you use, it's a very long story. It is not an easy story. And I have a couple previous episodes where I dive into the particular curriculum that we have used over certain years. Um, and I will probably do an additional podcast episode of our 2020 homeschool curriculum, which is honestly pretty similar to what it has been, with just a few little tweaks. Um, but basically, my best advice for you is if you are trying to figure out what you want to use for curriculum this year. Number one, keep it simple. Um, do not try to replicate a public school classroom. And by that, I mean, you do not need to have a classroom set up in your home with desks facing a whiteboard and maps on the walls and all of the frilly stuff in the decorations, like you don't have to do that. If that's your thing, if that's your love language, then do it. Cool. But you don't have to have it. Uh, you also don't have to school from eight in the morning till three in the afternoon, unless your particular curriculum warrants that, which I will say most of them do not. So you do not have to be sitting in a, at a desk with your child for however many hours, seven hours, not necessary. And you also don't have to exactly reproduce every subject they might cover in public school. So keep it simple. For us, we can get our school done generally by 11 o'clock every morning, sometimes even earlier than that. And as my oldest, she's in fifth grade this year, but as she gets a little older, you know, some of her stuff takes longer, but man, those younger grades, they just don't take long. Um, to do a good job on the books, right? And so we keep it simple, math, a good math curriculum, a good language arts curriculum. And by language arts, I mean, for your, your younger grades, you're gonna be teaching reading. When they get a little bit older, you're gonna be incorporating some spelling and grammar. And then um, you're gonna start working on the writing and the essay and the composition. And that's what we do for language arts. And that kind of depends on how old my child is. But math and language arts are our two main focuses. Then beyond that, you need some sort of science. And if you're in a lower elementary grade, oftentimes science happens as a result of life. There's a lot of science that just happens in the everyday. Whether you're in the kitchen or the garden, you're walking down the street, going to the park, you can create a lot of conversations with your younger children that give them some really powerful science information. You can also do some experiments. Um, so that doesn't have to be complicated. And then history, we like to use a history curriculum called Story of the World, where they we it's a story format. So we'll read a chapter. It's very engaging. It's very um, entertaining for the kids. And then there are some supplemental things, coloring pages and such to go with it. So really, science history, 
solid language arts, solid math. Those are our focuses. We don't do a lot of extra, extra stuff unless I feel like a child needs it, is having a weak spot, needs a little extra support. Um, keep it simple, man. Really simple. And it doesn't have to be cumbersome. You do not have to be Kathy Craft mom, like where it's like crazy glitter and glue sticks and construction paper. Like if that's your jam, go for it. But it's not my jam. I don't like crafts. I don't like glitter. I don't like felt. <laughs> my kids are fine. Like I do have a box of stuff for them to create with and I'm totally cool with that. But as far as pre-planned crafts where I have to cut out leaves and prep all of it and orchestrate it, it doesn't happen, my friends. And I think it's okay. I mean, maybe my kids will hit 25 and end up going to therapy because we didn't do crafts. I don't know, but I feel like it's okay. And honestly, they come up with a lot of craft ideas on their own. Um, everything from making mud stuff outside to doing their own painting projects to gluing leaves to paper. Um, yesterday, Mesa, my oldest, we were working on our renovation house and she found an old plastic tractor stuffed under a bush. And so she brought it home and she's cleaning it out and scraping off the junk. She's masking off the pieces of the tractor and then she's going to spray paint it and coat and make it colorful. So like they kind of come up with their own crafts and I'm usually very encouraging of that. I just don't want to orchestrate it if that makes sense. So simple, simple, simple. Um, yeah. And if you are looking for, let's here, let me say this. A lot of folks come to me and ask this curriculum question because I think they assume that we're all using kind of an all-in-one, out-of-the-box style of curriculum. And I will tell you that most of the homeschoolers I know don't do that. They actually do not use one of those, you know, all-in-one-box curriculums. We Most of us pick and choose different books that we like for different subjects. There's nothing wrong with using an all-in-one curriculum. In fact, that may be your best bet if you are brand new to this, just to make things a little more simple for you. But that's always tough for me when people ask for recommendations because I'm like, I don't really know of a good one. I think there's good ones out there, but I've always kind of stuck together things I like. Um, so there are a few online resources that are free. There's one called Easy Peasy that is a free curriculum. I have not personally used it, but I've heard moms really like it. So you might check that out. Another one is Khan Academy. K-H-A-N Academy, and that is another free uh, curriculum that you can just create a login and work through. So you might supplement with that. You might start off with that as a basis and go from there. Okay, the next question I'm getting from friends and prospective homeschool moms is um, this concern that they are not going to be enough for their kids. So, you know, the, the question will usually be something along the lines of, I'm just worried I'm not qualified to do this. I didn't go to college or I don't remember anything from high school or grade school. And I just don't think I know enough to teach my kids. So this is a really common belief. And I feel like there's so many messages in our culture that tell moms in so many different ways that we're not enough, right? We're not adequate, but especially, um, there's this belief that if you don't have a bachelor's degree in childhood education, then you possibly absolutely cannot teach a child how to read or how to do math. Um, and I just, I don't, 
buy into that. And that's not to discount anyone who went to school for childhood education. Not, not at all. Uh, I know some great teachers. Some, there's some teachers we know that I greatly admi- admire, but I still just think that you as a mom and me as a mom, we have what it takes to teach our child. And here's the, here's the magic part of this. We have books. It's amazing. And as long as you can teach your kid and, or maybe with your child alongside of them, help them work through the books and you follow the lesson plans, you'll be fine. Like it has the information in it to teach your kids about the science, about the math, about the grammar. Um, Really the skill that you need to have in order to teach your kids is just the ability to read the instructions and troubleshoot. So if we read through a lesson and they don't understand this math technique, then you help them figure out how to understand it. And maybe that involves Googling it, which is usually my go-to. Maybe it's asking um, a friend to see if they remember that or if they can help break it down differently. But honestly, I, I very rarely actually have to look outside of the curriculum books because most of the time, as long as I'm reading the instructions, I can easily impart that to the child. Um, And as they get older, they read their own instructions, right? And then you don't even have to be the go-between anymore. And it's really, in my opinion, this process of rather not necessarily teaching them um, the subjects themselves, but really just helping your child learn how to learn, you know? And that's a skill that is so crucial and one that will serve them so well into adulthood. But it just helping them understand how to teach themselves and how to take the information they're getting in a book and apply it in a way that that makes sense to them. I've heard a lot of moms say that as they start to homeschool their kids, they've really redeemed their own education. So for example, um, in the, the history curriculum we used last year, there were absolutely parts and I love history, but there were parts that we were learning that I didn't remember from school. <laughs> like I just was fuzzy. The details were fuzzy. We still were able to work through it and have an incredible year with history. And my kids loved it and were excited about it and engaged. And it didn't matter that I didn't remember all the dates and the specifics because I relearned it right alongside them. And they were not any worse off because of that. Maybe even perhaps they were better off because I was more excited to learn it which made them more excited to learn it and we to learn it and we had a blast. Um, so you don't have to be uh, a professional teacher in order to teach your children well. And one more example, if this makes you feel better, I was homeschooled K through 12. I graduated with a 4.0 and my mom did standardized testing through the state of Idaho every year to make sure we were on track. I was always at the very top of the percentiles with those tests. When I got into college, I double majored at a community college. I ended up graduating with honors. I ended up tutoring other kids in the classes. Um, I went into calculus and advanced algebra and all this stuff at this college, advanced English classes, straight A's and everything. Um, So I did just fine in college, got lots of scholarship. I'm telling you all this because my mom never went to college. My mom did not have a college education. So she was able to guide me through high school and prepare me for college to be very successful with zero college education of her own. And the trait that allowed her to do that was just her ability to be consistent. It wasn't 
that she needed to know Algebra 2 in order to teach me Algebra 2. She just was consistent. And honestly, I did struggle with math in um, when I think I was a freshman, sophomore in high school. I was not getting algebra. And so she worked really hard and until she figured out solutions that would help me understand it. So she hired a tutor for a little while. Um, and then we went into some video lessons where I would watch a video with a teacher explaining the problem on the board. And then I would do the book and she would do those alongside me to make sure that I was understanding it. So again, it wasn't about her knowing how to do algebra because <laughs> she didn't at the time. She learned it alongside of me, but it was just her ability to guide me through and stick with it and troubleshoot that made me successful. So hopefully that helps you feel a little bit better um, if you're worried about that. Okay, I feel like this is the big one, the S word, socialization. <laughs> this is, well, it's kind of cool because back in the day when I was, was younger and being homeschooled, this was the thing that people like would rub in our face constantly. Socialization, your kids aren't gonna be socialized. What are you doing about socialization? And I, I kind of feel like now that homeschooling has been around a little bit longer, it's not as big of a question right at the beginning, um, but I still have moms coming to me asking about it, which is totally understandable. And I would expect nothing less because there is that question of how do we make sure our kids still have opportunities to be around other children and do activities and such if they're not in public school. Um, and just to reassure you, I, I think that once you get into homeschooling, you'll find that the opposite problem is true. It's not that there are not enough opportunities for your kids. It's there's too many and you have to start getting really particular so you don't spend your whole life driving them around to activities. At least that doesn't work for us because we live out of town and we have cattle and animals and businesses and so we have to really balance. But when you homeschool, the burden of getting your kids to an activity is a little bit more on you. Maybe, maybe not a whole lot more, but you know, they, you have to drive them to the sports practice. They're not going to already be at the school for the sports practice. So you have that to consider, but there are so many things available to homeschoolers. It's really just you finding them and you making that effort. So whether it's sports, whether it's 4-H, whether it's dance lessons or music lessons, or maybe it's not even a kid's sanctioned activity. Maybe you find someone in a trade or a skill that your child is interested in and you ask if the child can come shadow or volunteer for them. That's something I did a lot when I was younger and in high school especially. I wanted to get into the horse industry. I was obsessed with ranching and farming and so my mom, we found folks who were ranching or had horses or were raising horses and I would go up and volunteer and I would clean pens and I would do all their dirty work and I would pull weeds and I would help them drive tractors. It was not, you know, glamorous, but I loved it. And I got such an education from that. Such an education. Amazing. Amazing. So things like that are invaluable. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I had been in public school till four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is I really believe that this definition of socialization being that a child has to be in a large herd of homogenous children, their exact same age. I don't really, I don't really believe that that's true socialization. And if we look at historically 
how we how people raise their children you know this is a really modern construct where we think socialization equals being with someone in your grade level all day every day for seven or eight hours you know 30 first graders that's socialization what if just try on this idea see how it feels what if socialization is more than that what if it's actually teaching your children how to be with people of all ages what if it's teaching your child how to take care of younger kids or be around younger kids and, and you know watch them or make sure they're included and relate to them what if it's teaching them how to be around older kids how to hang out with uh the junior hires or the high schoolers if you're an elementary age kid and what if it's how to relate to adults and how to be with adults and how to carry on a conversation with adults more i feel like for us that sort of socialization is far more important to me than just how they would relate to a bunch of kids their same age. Um, so that's my take on that. And I don't know, I'm sure there's people who would disagree with that, but I don't think that it has to be 40 first graders in order to be socialized, if that makes sense. Okay, so I saved my favorite question for last because this is the one I'm getting from a lot of friends. And this is the one when they ask me this, I just want to hug them and go, oh, my friend, you are going to be so pleasantly surprised at how this works out for you. If you just can trust, if you just are willing to take that initial leap, this is going to be beyond your wildest dreams. So the question is, that's probably one of the number one concerns from a lot of prospective homeschool moms is, what if my child falls behind? Let me tell you why this one excites me in a weird way. Because I feel like the term behind is tricky. And I don't believe that all kids learn at the same level or the same pace. And I love individuality. And I love, even in my own three kids, seeing how different they are and really acknowledging those differences and being able to call out those differences and play to their strengths and work on their weaknesses. They're not all the same. And I understand why a school institution would need to make standards or benchmarks. I understand why that is a thing. But sometimes what happens is it slows down the kids who want to move more quickly and it discourages the kids who are a little more slow in certain areas. Or maybe they're more advanced in one area, they're a little bit slower in other areas, and these benchmarks just aren't a fit. It's, it's not great for them. It doesn't fit them. So when I hear this, this idea of my child falling behind, I'm like, I want to say, what is behind? Like, what does that equal to you? Because I think that it's not as much of a concern as many folks think it is. And hear me when I say this. My kids, we finish our books. I'm a stickler for consistency. When we start a math book, we finish the math book. We do school every morning, even when we're sick most of the time, um, even sometimes on holidays or if the school in town is having spring break, we often don't do a spring break. We, I mean, we are very, very consistent. It's very important to me that my children can read well and write well and do mental math and do all these things. Like I want my children to have a firm grasp of these topics before they leave my home. But 
there's also a lot of other pieces of this schooling that are just as important to me. The ability to be resilient, the ability to solve problems, the ability to think for themselves, the ability to not be obsessed or drawn to conformity, the ability to, what did I say? Did I say creativity yet? That's another big one. But there's a lot of other pieces of this that I think a lot of kids are behind in, perhaps in other educational methods that are not taken into consideration. So I recently found this article that I want to share with you in the show notes. It's called This Is Your Gap Year. So this author, Erin, was also getting a lot of questions about kids falling behind. And this was her thoughts. Um, as far as, let's say this year is crazy for our kids, you know, whether we're at virtual schooling or homeschooling or sending them back to public school with masks and distractions, she's hearing all these concerns from parents um, about maybe this year won't be great for academics. So she said, what if it's a gap year? And here are some quotes from this article I thought were so awesome. She says, try on the wild idea that you might know more about educating your child than an institution does. Think about what your family values. Think about what makes your kid light up. Then guide your child toward both. What will happen is this. Your entire family will tilt towards discovery. You'll spend less time fretting with your kid's school over tech issues and Zoom schedules and more time igniting wonder in your child's soul. You'll, you'll educate in the way that worked for generations prior, one of apprenticeship, of practice, of trade. Your child will gain independence. He'll make his own lunch. She'll wash her own socks. Your child will learn from you and you will learn from your child. You'll invite your kids into your daily life, whether through accounting spreadsheets or blueprint renderings or sauteed garlic. You'll find your own answer to the wise question posed from columnist Bethany Mandel in The Atlantic. If an out-of-work restaurant chef is now home with his kids, Will they gain more if he helps them do busy work problems in math or if he teaches them how to cook? End quote. And there's the rest of the article is fantastic. I highly recommend going to read it. But I hope for those of you who are worried about this idea of, of falling behind, that brings you some peace. Because let's say, worst case scenario, your child doesn't necessarily advance in, in math this year. Maybe they just stay the same. What are all the other amazing pieces and life lessons and skills that they potentially can learn in this period? I think there's so much there. It makes me so excited. And just seeing my kids and the things they come up with and the lessons that we can create by just being aware and just having them around us in our everyday adult life, it's awesome, you guys. It's so exciting. It's so rewarding. And that's why when folks come to me and they're like, I'm so worried about my kid falling behind, I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. You're going to be so amazed at how this works out once you take the leap. So all of that to say, you get to decide. Um, and I hope, I don't know if anything I said in this podcast could be taken the wrong way, probably. Hopefully nothing I said felt condemning to you because ultimately it's your decision. If you feel like sending your kids back to school is the right thing for you, then do it. If you feel like virtual schooling is the right thing for you, do it. If you feel like homeschooling is the right thing for you, do it. It is your call and your decision, and you got to go with your gut. I will tell you, though, 
There's one mistake you can make in this process. And I would say the biggest mistake is that you end up making a choice based on the people around you. That you end up making a choice based on what you think you should do. When I say should, I'm meaning what the people around you are pressuring you to do. Maybe you feel pressured to do a certain choice because that's what the rest of your friends are doing. Or you're afraid of what your great aunt Martha or your mother-in-law will say. I think that is a mistake. If you're basing your decision on worrying about what those around you are going to think of your decision, I would say block out those voices and go with your gut. And if it makes you feel better, (laughs) regardless of what you choose, somebody is going to think it's dumb. Somebody's going to think your choice is wrong. So when I get to those points in my life, I'm like, well, if I do this, this person will disagree with me. And if I do this, this other person will disagree with me. I'm like, to heck with it. I'm going to do exactly what I know deep in my gut and in my soul is the right thing for myself and my children and our family. There are plenty of people personally in both our close friend groups and in our extended friend groups who do not agree with our decision to homeschool. They didn't agree pre-COVID and they don't agree post-COVID. We've even been told that we are hurting our small local school by not sending our kids there because when that school gets more funding, or excuse me, when that school gets more kids, they get more funding. And um, to that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of have to say, sorry, friends. I don't, I don't want to hurt that school. I think it's an important service to the community, but I have to be true to my gut and trust my gut over just going with what the herd thinks that I should do. Right. And you know, what's best for your kids and your family. And I encourage you to honor what your gut is telling you, whatever it may be, go with that. So I want to leave you with this quote. This is from my very favorite author on homeschooling and education. You've heard me reference his books before. If you have not read them, run to get a copy or download the audiobook. There's two books he's written. His name is John Taylor Gatto. One of them is called Dumbing Us Down. It's a little bit shorter. And the other one is called Weapons of Mass Instruction. They are excellent. I will warn you, if you read them, You may have a very hard time putting your kids in public school in the future. Uh, He's compelling. He's intelligent. He is extremely uh, well-written and well-read. And the books were a game changer for me. But anyway, this is a quote, one of his quotes that I loved. And he says, whatever an education is, it should make you a unique individual, not a conformist. It should furnish you with an original spirit with which to tackle the biggest challenges. It should allow you to find values which will be your roadmap through life. It should make you spiritually rich, a person who loves whatever you're doing, wherever you are, whomever you are with. It should teach you what is important, how to live and how to die. So thoughts and prayers to those of you who are making this tough choice this year. I'm rooting for you, whatever you decide, and I'm hoping you will find peace in your decision once it's all said and done. And that is it for today, friends. Thanks so much for listening. 
Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review if this episode was helpful for you. I read every single review that comes in and they just help more people find this podcast and bring homesteading into their lives. So I appreciate every single one. We'll catch up again on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. Take care, friends.